There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. One All-Ireland title down Two to go. Here's hoping. Well done to the under-20s last night. Very, very comprehensive and solid victory. Here's hoping for more at the weekend. If I read this, I would think it was a joke, but it's not. We've had about three or four calls in the last ten minutes. There are goats, goats, I tell you, up around uh, the middle Glenmire Road, up around the Montanati Hotel, Someone said, it looks like a mother goat and four kid goats. And they're running up and down the middle Glenmire Road <laughs> near the Montanati Hotel. Uh, five goats, someone else says at St. Luke's, uh, running wild. Tell motorists, please be careful. All right. Goats on the loose. Has anybody lost a few goats? Is anybody missing some goats from up around the St. Luke's, Montanati area, maybe Mayfield, I don't know. Anyone lost or missing or looking for some goats? They're there anyway. Up around the Montanati Hotel, up in um, Wing Mirror Rally, up there, that narrow section. Wing Mirror Rally, I started calling that years ago. I lost two wing mirrors up there in the space of six months. But now there's goats up there. Today is the... What date have we got today? Today is the 19th of August. It's a significant anniversary. Today is the anniversary of Golfgate. It happened this day last year. The Oireachtas Golf Society dinner was held in Clifton County, Galway. This time last year, the Golfgate had became known as the fury that it provoked among people. And it was two great young journalists at the Examiner who should get credit, it was Paul Hosford and Aoife Grace Moore were the two young journalists who broke that story in the Examiner. I remember Aoife telling me 
at the time here on the show that she was working on something else, as you do, and writing up on her laptop and stuff started pinging into her phone that she should perhaps take a look at something that had happened in Clifton. And she got to her colleague, Paul Hosford, and they worked together on it and they broke what was easily the biggest political story and biggest political scandal of last year. So it was a year ago today that Golfgate happened. Uh, <laughs> someone says, I'm kidding. No, I'm not kidding about the goats. Kidding? Goats? See what we did there? Anyway, there are some goats on the loose up by the Montanasi Hotel. So treat them with care. And if they're yours, could you go get them, please? 1850-715-996. Let us look at vaccines and booster vaccines and the possibility that we all need booster vaccines. We've been hearing now the soundings coming from NIAC and NIFET and others is that towards the end of September, start of October, which is when they would normally do the flu vaccinations for people, that they will start giving those, at least those who are more vulnerable, start giving them a booster dose of one of the one of the COVID-19 vaccines, probably Pfizer. And I have approved, for example, that someone who got an AstraZeneca first time out can get a Pfizer booster. Science is now telling us that the immunity from that will be brilliant. Uh, it's even stronger than getting two Pfizer's or indeed two AstraZeneca's. We mentioned yesterday also that there was new data from Israel, quite a lot of new data from Israel, which had prompted them to start a booster campaign among their over 50s. And last evening on his daily video, uh, our friend and uh, health analyst John Campbell was going through some of that data. He was looking at data from the US and data from Israel, and without going into too much heavy details, it's there on John's channel if you want to take a detailed look. But the conclusion that he reached was that there's now enough data out there to prove that the effect of the vaccine tends to wane, tends to die off a little bit after a period of time. Here's just a clip from John's video from last night. Individuals who were vaccinated in January... Uh, 2021, had a 2.6-fold increase risk for breakthrough infection compared to those who were vaccinated in April. So January, February, March, April, only three or four months difference, and yet increased risk for breakthrough infections in the people who had vaccinated earlier, indicating that the effect of the vaccine was waning. Israel has already started giving booster doses over the age of uh, 50, They've started that based on their data. Now, Dr. Gerald Barry is a virologist at UCD, UCC, rather, and joins me. Uh, Gerald, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, PJ. Um, UCD. UCC. UCC. Yeah. yeah, UCD. Oh, you, oh you're, you're I'm UCD. <laughs> I'm in Dublin. Sorry, Fair sorry enough. about that. No, UCD. <laughs> we, we try to claim anybody. <laughs> well, my father's from Cork, so maybe that's ah, well, we see your, your, <laughs> all you are is, all, all you are really is exiled. Do you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Gerald, the, the, the evidence is, is mounting that we are going to need at least those who are vulnerable in any way and maybe working on the front line and coming into contact more with, with COVID are going to need boosters come the autumn, come the winter. Um, I, I kind of disagree slightly, to be honest. I mean, <clears throat> it, it depends what we're trying to achieve with this vaccine, uh, bluntly. Like, the data, as was played in that piece you just 
you just played the data it clearly shows that the the effectiveness against infection is reducing it hasn't disappeared but it has reduced but the effectiveness the cdc came out yesterday in america who are the kind of leading public health body arguably one of the leading public health bodies in the world mm. they came out yesterday and said that their data agrees with israel said in that effectiveness against infection is reducing but effectiveness against hospitalization icu uh, admission and death has not changed yeah so in other words the the vaccines are basically still doing what they were designed to do these vaccines were not really designed or trialed or tested to stop infection, what they were aimed at doing was reducing hospitalization, ICU entry and death. And they're still doing mm-hmm. just as good a job now yeah. as they were doing six or eight months ago. Well, we were. So, you just have to look at the hospital figures to know that, in fairness. Exactly. And so I suppose I look at this and I kind of think, well, you know, what are we trying to achieve with this with this vaccine? You know, and, and if it's we're trying to block infection, then we're using the wrong vaccine and we don't actually have a vaccine that will do that currently, particularly in the face of Delta. If we're trying to identify a vaccine that's really good at reducing uh, risk of hospitalization and death and ICU entry, then currently what we have, if somebody has two shots of of any of those vaccines, um, then they have that protection. And there's no evidence to say that that protection has reduced over time. Mm. So I look at that and I kind of think, well, you know, the WHO came out very strongly against this yesterday. And I, I really agree with them. And that what they said was basically we're looking at giving people more protection when they're already protected. Whereas, you know, you take countries in Africa that, you know, have less than 5% of their population even given access to one shot of vaccine. I, I just kind of look at that and I think it just seems crazy that we're proposing to give people a third shot when they're already protected, whereas we're looking at countries across the world where there's potential mm. for rampant spread of the virus uh, because they have no vaccination protection. And we're just feeding into the idea that uh, you allow the virus run riot in any part of the world, you increase the risk of variants increasing uh, or popping up that are potentially going to be even worse than Delta. So I, I do look at that and I say, you know, what are we trying to do here? If we're trying to block infection and reduce cases, that's one thing. But really what we're trying to do with vaccines is stop hospitalization and death. We have achieved that to an extent. And the effectiveness between, you know, January and now has not changed. So mm. I actually don't agree with the idea that we should be rolling out boosters at this point because I, I don't feel that the evidence is strong enough to justify it. Yeah. Whereas I do feel the evidence... Even for the vulnerable? To, well, based on the current evidence, the vulnerable, if if they're vaccinated, uh, say with an mRNA vaccine or AstraZeneca double shot, then they have the same protection now as they had three, six months ago based on the evidence we have at the moment in terms of their protection yeah. against hospitalization so that, so that hasn't changed essentially and so the like are you coming back here to Mike Ryan's point Gerald that none of us are completely safe until we're all safe and that it's more of a priority to get vaccination rolled out worldwide for everybody that can get one worldwide to get one before we start looking at things like boosters 
I think based on current evidence that has that should be our approach absolutely that the evidence says that there's there's no reason to give a booster currently because we still have the same level of protection against hospitalization and death that we had three or six months ago and you know that might change and if the evidence changes then you can argue for a booster but currently the idea of prioritizing uh, people that are already protected with a further shot and and to be honest we don't really have evidence to say that it's going to increase their protection against hospitalization or death, even if they get a third shot. You know, in other words, the protection yeah. is so high currently, it's probably not going to get much higher. And then you have people in Africa that can't even get one shot of vaccine. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. And I think we need to, I think we, rightly we had a relatively myopic view and a kind of a selfish view up to this point. But I do feel like we as a country could take a strong lead on this uh, and start to look outside our own borders and start to look at people across the world because Mike Ryan is absolutely right. We're not all safe until everyone is protected by the, by vaccine. Yeah. And there's always going to be the risk of another variant popping up and we're just feeding into that cycle if we don't recognise that mm-hmm. instead of, as I say, you know, giving people boosters when the science, in my opinion, uh, and it's uh, the CDC's opinion, the WHO's opinion as well, doesn't doesn't support the idea of boosters to, you know, to change protection mm. against hospitalization and death, which is the priority. Are you suggesting that it's somewhat selfish to be topping up our own safety without considering first the safety of others around the world? Well, I'm not sure if it's a selfish thing. <clears throat> I just think it's a... It, it, it's natural, because we're so used to giving boosters of flu um, every winter. Yeah. It's almost natural to think, well, the winter is coming. We need to think about boosters for, for COVID now as well. And it's almost, and you know, and it, that, that was kind of the knee jerk. And it was almost kind of expected that boosters would be required. But the reason we give a booster for flu every year is because we have a new variant of flu that we're dealing with every year. And so we need, it's not, okay, it's a booster, but it's also a slightly different vaccine every year that targets that new variant that comes along every year. Uh, and actually what they're proposing, like if they were proposing to boost people with a slightly different version of the vaccine that's more specific for Delta, then there's mm. a very strong argument to do that. Well, well, we do know that some of the manufacturers or at least some of the scientists that supply the manufacturers with the vaccines, they are working on, on a Delta booster. Oh, they are. Yeah. And they're in clinical trials to, to show hopefully that it works very effectively against Delta. Isn't but it worth boosting with that then? Off. I think if that comes out, absolutely it's worth boosting with that. But currently we're proposing to use a third shot of the same thing. That, you know, and our protection, as I say, against hospitalisation, uh, ICU entry and death is as good now against Delta as it was back in January against Alpha. And that's what the evidence yeah. is saying. Well, now, I, I'm looking at the numbers here for Cork and uh, CUH has had an increase in the number of patients over the past week, but overall numbers are low. As of Tuesday night last, now bear in mind our date today is the 19th, of August, I have a reason for pointing that out. As of Tuesday night last, there were 10 positive patients in CUH, two in ICU. There were no cases in the Mercy, although one suspected case was under observation. Now, go mm-hmm. back to the 19th of January, Gerald, and there mm-hmm. I think your point is made. The numbers being reported every day are uncomfortably high. But the numbers ending up in hospital, particularly here in Cork, I mean, in this time in January in Cork, 
Cor- you, CUH was was pretty much over close to being overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So we're no yeah, and, we're nowhere near that now. No, we're not. And I think you know, and and in fairness, like I think that's what the huge benefit of the vaccine has been. Yes, the vaccine is not perfect. There's going to be a continuation of cases, and some of those cases will end up in hospital even if vaccinated. But we know, for example, that approximately ninety five percent of people that are hospitalized or, or end up in ICU are unvaccinated people. Yeah. So there's a huge benefit for the vaccine, clearly. But there will be some that will slip through. So even if we have the whole population vaccinated and there's circulation of virus still, there, some people will end up in hospital, unfortunately. But that's kind of just the the nature of these kind of things. I don't think we're ever going to get rid of it completely. But very clearly, yeah. you know, cases are running at a, at a really high level at the moment, but it's not translating anywhere near as strongly as it did back in January into hospitalizations and uh, clearly not into deaths. Well. What and is important, not... obviously, though, Gerald, is to get mm-hmm. the community transmission down to stop yeah. the daily case numbers. Is that a separate issue from vaccination? You know, it's, it, when, I think when these vaccines came out first, we had a hope that it would have a dramatic impact on spread of the virus as well. But unfortunately, with this Delta variant, the evidence is becoming stronger now that people that are vaccinated are actually carrying as much virus in their nose as yeah. somebody that's unvaccinated. So people that are vaccinated are still able to yeah. transmit. Well, well, we saw a chart, and again, it was the aforementioned John Campbell who, who mm-hmm. showed the chart on his daily videos a couple of weeks ago. He said, presently, the only um, microbe or the only virus more transmissible than Delta variant is measles. Yeah, now you could argue these kind of things all day long. In, in the in the world of virology, we have these kind of conversations all the time. But it's not a bad analogy in a way. I mean, and I wouldn't get too technical about comparing it to other things because people talk about chickenpox as well. But yeah. it suffices to say that this thing is highly infectious. It's much more infectious than the original version. Yes. And it's also more infectious than the alpha. So it is circulating. <clears throat> but it, it, I but think most people are my only mildly unwell, if anything. If they're fully vaccinated, yes. That's the point. I think, but it's a very fair point to say that we're running at case numbers that are too high. And, and, you know, I, I suppose I get frustrated when I look at that and I think about all the other things that we could be doing and should be doing to try and help those cases to, to stabilize you know i look at the it, you know there was chat on the on the radio last night and this morning about the entertainment industry and how they're not being given a roadmap to open up yeah. and stuff like that i just i look at with frustration at situations like that where you know the the knee-jerk reaction is to shut down an industry or to close an industry and they're so badly affected by this when you know this is a battle that's impacting so many people's lives and we're just as a country i don't feel or as a government really we're not throwing the kitchen sink at this thing you know we're just not doing as much as we could be doing what more could we be doing then i think there's a whole host of things i mean you know we know for example that the more testing that we do the more likely we are to pick up people that are infected and the more likely we are to reduce the infectious burden across the country. And so I look at my own my, my own example. I don't know what it's like in Cork, but in Mead, where I live, I have to drive 45 minutes to a test centre to get tested. If I didn't have a car, I actually don't know how I would get to a test centre to get tested. So, you know, for, that's a simple example. There should be a test centre in every town in the country where people could walk in for free, no requirement of a GP to refer them, and get tested as often as they wanted to, if they wanted to. Um, Without referral, self-refer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in Germany at the moment, people are popping into test centres, or in Denmark, for example, you know, 
at least two or three times a week sometimes. And Just is that PCR that. or... or, or That's PCR. Right. PCR. On top of that, in Denmark, they're doing roughly half a million antigen tests on top of that per week. You know, so the, these kind of things should be widespread, easily accessible. And 18 months into it, they're just not. I mean, contact tracing is another big issue. We have approximately a thousand people employed in contact mm. tracing, and we're at capacity now with the, the case numbers we're dealing with at the moment. And as a result of that, we're not doing proper contact tracing where we should be tracking, say, for example, back five to seven days prior to symptoms occurring in someone. We're only going back two days. Yeah, symptom is, the Did system is overwhelmed on a thousand a day, is what we're told. But they shouldn't be. I yeah. mean, why don't we have three, four thousand people working on contact tracing? You know, why don't we have hundreds of people working in public health? You know, we're 18 months into this and we know that the frontline defence against yeah. this thing is contact tracing and public health. And we're, you know, we're kind of just, I feel almost sitting back and accepting a rise in cases and hoping that the vaccine will will protect us. And the reality of it is, is that there's a whole host of other things like improved public health, improved contact tracing, improved use of whole genome sequencing to trap track chains of transmission that we're just not doing. And I, I just feel so frustrated by it because, as I say, industries and everybody personally gets impacted by this so much uh, mm-hmm. when, you know, there's so many things we could be doing that would help us. Mm. Life has been tough for the last 18 months. It's getting a little easier, particularly for those of us who are vaccinated, and we're grateful for that, Gerald. But I think your message to to government is you can help people far more than you're doing. Yeah, and, and you know, the vaccine is amazing and the vaccine rollout is absolutely incredible, really. And mm. the uptake by people has been amazing. But I do feel like, you know, messages of, of coming out and telling us that cases are rising and, 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 you know, continuously warning us that cases are rising and at the same time not doing as much as could be done to stop those cases rising uh, starts to wear thin, uh, I think, with the general public. And I think it starts, you know, these messages of be careful, cases are rising, is starting to fall on deaf ears a little bit, unfortunately. And, and you know, the, the messaging six or 12 months ago that would have, I suppose, changed people's behaviour because of maybe increased anxiety, I don't feel is having the same impact. And, no. and I think we need to be doing a lot more in a lot of other areas okay. um, to help it. All right, listening, uh, we're grateful for your time this morning. Dr. Gerald Barry, uh, virologist at UCD. All those strong core connections. We'll claim them all eventually. Thanks, Gerald. 1850-715-996. So John's analysis of the data, he doesn't quibble with that. But his argument is, well, we don't actually need to be boosting just yet. And there are millions of people around the world who haven't even had a smell of a vaccine yet, let alone get it stuck in their arm. So let's focus on them first. Wonder what you think about that. Do I mean if a vaccine bo- booster is offered to me at the end of September or middle of October or whenever it might be offered to me, do I take it and say thank you very much, or do I do a more selfless thing and say, well, actually, no, send that to Africa, or send that to Uganda, or send it wherever you want to send it. Send it to a country that needs it more than I do right now. Because you know what? I've had my two boosters. I mine on my two doses. I mine myself. I follow the rules. I'm grand, thanks. Uh, I'll take my booster when everybody else has had their first dose. Is that what we need to be doing? Is what I think he's saying. We, we, I think he's saying that's what we do need to be doing. 
Jackie, would it not be pertinent for the pharma companies to give a vaccine free for everyone that they sell? I saw another report during the week that the individual dose price of the main vaccines has started to tick up a little bit. Which, if it's true, is unfortunate. Just to come back to those hospital figures for Cork, and hospital figures for Cork have been hard to come by ever since this blasted cyber attack back in back in May. But they're great figures from the hospitals in Cork. CUH has ten COVID positive patients and two in ICU. And I could, if I had the time, if I, for tomorrow I will, I, I promise you, I will go back and compare the chart from January to show you what we had then, but it was multiples of that. And there's nobody in the Mercy Hospital, well, there's one suspected case in the Mercy at the moment, and there have been no admissions with COVID in the last few days. 1857 the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Courts 96FM. I know it's a serious topic. I know it's a topic we've been touched on earlier this morning, but I cannot listen to that UNICEF ad without thinking of Liam Neeson the way I was thinking of Liam Neeson last week. I can't, look. If you get a vaccine, please give a vaccine by going to unicef.ie today. If you don't... I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Poor Liam, that's going to stay with him for the rest of his life. It just gives me a laugh. 1850-715-996. Listen, we are having an opportunity tomorrow for you to wish the Cork Hurlers all the best for the weekend, for Sunday. What I want you to do is send us in a voice message, a voice clip on WhatsApp to 083-396-9696. Tell us who you are. Tell us where you're from. If you're a member of a club, tell us your club. And just wish the Cork Hurlers all the best for Sunday. Sing us a song. Tell us a story. Make us laugh. But send us a voice note. Maybe maybe 30 seconds in duration tops. Get them into us at 83 396 96 We'll pick the best ones and we'll run them out during the show tomorrow. So voice notes to wish the Cork Hurlers the best for the weekend. 83 396 96 Be creative, be funny, be a devil and we'll run, we'll run them tomorrow. Now I notice in my timeline uh, a man who was born a hundred years ago this very day. Uh, the man behind Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry. You've seen Star Trek. It's all on Netflix now. And they put up the whole new set of the 
Next Generation and Voyager is up there now as well. So 100 years ago today, the creator of Star Trek was born. And I had a little starstruck Star Trek moment myself during the week. Those of you who follow me on Twitter will have seen my glee. Uh, Something I tweeted about a television show I saw her in. And I got liked by seven of nine. My tweet was liked by seven of nine by Jerry Ryan. I was beside myself. Beside myself. So Star Trek I was. 1850-715-996. He's still around. He is still around. He was seen in Crookhaven. And unfortunately, people are worried about him because Wally appears to be injured. His flipper appears to be injured some way. He has made sugar of a couple of boats and people ain't too happy about that. But but he is injured in some way. And also, there's a warning now that people are getting too close to him. Not that he's any danger to them, at least you'd hope not, but that they'd be a danger to him. And he seemed to be agitated from people getting too close in around him. Uh, Melanie Croce is with Seal Rescue Ireland. I know I don't think anyone's been able to get close enough to him to look at his injuries. Melanie, to know whether they're serious or not. Good morning. Good morning. Um, well, unfortunately, there are a lot of photos surfacing of um, of very, very up close images, and even the audio file that you just played. I'm not sure if that came from him. That's a sound but, effect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, it's just it, it's kind of turned into a circus now. Wherever he pops up, there are boats circling him, approaching him. There have been people even trying to climb on the boat, sticking cameras in his face. And you know, this is a wild animal. He's not here for entertainment. And in fact, he's displaced and he's struggling to survive. Um, you know, his native waters are uh, up in the Arctic. So the fact that we're losing sea ice it means he's losing habitat. And so he's drifted down here. He's very lost. And I do think he's trying to head back home. He's headed in the right direction. You remember he was first uh, he was first observed in County Kerry uh, back in March, and yeah. then from there he's traveled all over the place: Wales, Cornwall, France, Spain, Isles of Scilly, um, and then two weeks ago he showed up in Waterford. Now he's making his way westward, um, but we're not sharing his exact location, and we really, really are asking, pleading with the public to please not share his exact location if you do know because once word gets out um, everyone flocks to that location and it does put his health at risk Um, It's normal that people would be fascinated by such a wonderful creature but I think to be fair you and others Melanie have been saying for weeks now give him his space, look at him watch him from a safe distance but don't be going out to him, it's very foolish Absolutely. And this is what this is the same messaging with um, the native seals that we have as well. You know, Seal Rescue Ireland is um, rescuing and hoping to protect um, gray seals and common seals all across our coastline. And now is the time for actually gray seal pupping as well. So it's a lot of the same messaging. Please, please, please respect wildlife from a distance. Do not approach within 100 meters. Observe quietly with binoculars or a good zoom lens. And um, if you do see any reports to please uh, air sightings, Report them to our 24-hour hotline so that we can send out trained volunteers to monitor the situation and ensure that the animals are kept safe. And, you know, who knows? He's 800 kilos, so he could accidentally harm someone, especially people who are getting very, very close to him. Um, Would he be aggressive? Um, Does he even know what we are? Probably not. Would he be aggressive in any way? I, I, I don't think he would 
be aggressive, but probably, I mean, it, it's possible. I mean, I mean he's, he's nearly he's, a ton weight, so if he turned on anybody, you wouldn't last long. But oh, there's no danger of him turning on you, is there? Well, he sunk boats, um, and so if he can damage boats, he could do damage to a human yeah. body easily. Um, so I think it's definitely for our best interest to respect him from a distance. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people whose property are being damaged as well. So, you know, what we're trying to do, so we've, we've got a, a rib now that has been donated for this purpose, and we've got a rib out for him and hoping to lure him onto that rib so that he stays away from boats. Mm. And the idea is to put the rib somewhere where he can be monitored safely by people, sort of around the clock just mm. to make sure that he's safe and that people are not approaching. And what are you doing, Melanie? Are you putting some food in it for him or what are you doing? Do you... Uh, no, actually, so he likes his own How, how will he choose, choose, for example, which to climb up on? Well, he's got expensive taste. So, um, so <laughs> no. far he got on the rib quickly, but he's actually uh, apparently on another rib at the moment. Um, but we, what they did um, in other areas, uh, Marine Life Rescue in the UK, they actually got a towel and got his scent from one of the boats that he had been on, ah. and they put it on the designated platform. He likes his own scent, so it attracted him. So we're trying to do this as well. But my hope is that he keeps on moving and finds a quieter spot, and then we can easily relocate the rib to a new location where he can be monitored and rest and hopefully continue his journey. Yeah. But if he's constantly being swarmed by people and he's aggravated and he's stressed, he's not able to rest and that's going to put his welfare and his survival at risk. Yeah, he is, a, it's a new word on me, a, a penny pet, isn't it? Isn't it? So therefore <laughs> he needs to rest periodically? Exactly. Yes, so pinniped is the same family as seals and sea lions. So they're semi-aquatic. They have to come up on land to rest, unlike cetaceans like whales and dolphins that are fully aquatic, um, and they just stay in the water at all times. So that makes them more vulnerable to disturbances because they're very slow and cumbersome when they're up on land, um, and they can't make a quick getaway. And even this walrus, um, compared to our native seals, even in the water, he's quite slow mm. um, and very visible, easy to spot. And so that's kind of where wherever he turns up, um, it's it's flagged quickly and then the word gets out. So we're just pleading with the public to okay. please respect his space and do not share exact locations um, because there are so many curious people that would love to get a glimpse of him. Sure. And most people are very respectful, but it only takes a few to cause a lot of damage. Do we know how he got hurt, how his fin got injured, and I suppose no one's been able to get close enough yet to see whether it's a serious injury. Well, um, there, there were apparently some sharp objects in, in some of the boats, as you can imagine, and as he's being approached, he's kind of, he's getting, uh, like, stressed, and so he'll, he'll jump off the boat, and then he'll climb back in, and so he's been repeatedly doing that, and so it's put, you know, it's damaged the boat a bit as well, but also it's kind of um, damaged his slippers as he's trying to scuffle around these sharp objects. Now, I don't think it's a serious injury. It's certainly not life threatening and all pinnipeds, seals and, and walruses included, they're very tough. They've got very thick skin, yeah. they've got thick layers of blubber, so they're kind of designed to get a little bit banged up. But I do think and I hope that we can take this as a warning that, you know, it could be worse next time. And we just really need to prioritize his safety and welfare. Um, you know, there's less than 22,000 Atlantic walruses left in the world, and they were close to extinction in the last few centuries. Yeah. 
So now with climate change, they've got so much stacked against them. Yeah. So the best we can do is sort of just foster um, his, his welfare and kind of protect him while he's in our waters. And hopefully he'll make it his way back home. Yeah. If the injury did turn out to be serious, is there any vet in this part of the world that can help him? Uh, well... You know, he's 800 kilos, yeah. and it's very, very dangerous. You you wouldn't want to dart an animal like that. Um, and to try to ca- to capture him, you know, fully awake would be very, very dangerous. Yeah. So it wouldn't be, I would say, I would say unless it was an absolutely dire situation, we would not want to interfere. We're really trying to be as hands-off as possible. Okay. Um, and, you know, hopefully if he can just get his distance, get his rest, then he'll be able to recover on his own and recuperate. But we need to help him do that by respecting him. All right. Okay, Melanie, good to speak with you. That's Melanie Crossy from Seal Rescue Ireland. While he's still around his exact location, no one's sharing it. He was seen, and there were photographs from Crookhaven, but that's not where he actually was. He was just there for a swim for the afternoon. He has got this new temporary raft that they've acquired for him. He's got an injury. They don't think it looks too serious, but a message very clearly, very clearly from the experts like Melanie is stay away from him. Leave him alone. Watch him from a distance. Don't be getting in around the poor devil and bothering him. 1850 Opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Marymount's Mizzen to Malin virtual cycle is underway. You have until October 31st to complete the 600 kilometre virtual cycle and help raise vital funds for Marymount University Hospital and Hospice. Sign up to complete the route which can all be done from your local area, logging your daily kilometres as you go. To register and for more information, see marymount.ie. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Corks 96fm. Speaking as we were of wildlife, I think there's a picture we've got. There's a picture now of the goats up around St. Luke's. Um, I shouldn't laugh, but there they are, just near the kiosk crossing the road, headed up, following the signpost for the, the Montanotti Hotel, by the looks of it. <laughs> it's, it's a lovely picture, but they can't be comfortable there. They were there before nine o'clock. We were getting quite a number of uh, calls about them, whether they're still there. They were seen in St. Luke's and they were seen up by the Montanotti Hotel. Obviously, no one knows where they're from or who owns them but it looked like a mother and three or four kid goats five I think was in the little pack it is a pack or flock whatever Uh, but just if anyone knows where they are or if anyone knows who owns them uh, we might be able to return them to their owner hopefully we could 1850 7159996 now Maria good morning to you Hi, good morning, PJ. How are you? This is Maria O'Sullivan, a lactation consultant. And I think, Maria, you're encouraging people to stay breastfeeding for longer. We have, and we've discussed this before in the programme with you and perhaps other guests, we have a very low rate of breastfeeding in Ireland in, in general. Uh, yes. But also the, the, the age at which mothers stop breastfeeding. Yes, yeah. 
Yeah, well, it can be anything from a week, <laughs> but our, our breastfeeding ratio six months is um, um, 6% of babies are being exclusively breastfed at six months. And um, obviously babies then wean on to, to foods from six months, but um, it's still a very low rate of breastfeeding. It's like 40% worldwide. What does the WHO say about it, about how long people should remain breastfeeding? Um, so the WHO says that uh, we should continue to breastfeed up to two years at least. Um, so six months exclusively and then up to two years with food. So breast milk would make up about 50% of a child's diet up to um, after they, they wean at six months. You continue to make that. So, you know, there would be no need for um, follow-on milks. Mm. Now, you've three children, uh, all I breast, do. all of them were, were breastfed. Until what yes. age, Maria? Different ages. Um, my eldest would have been three years and nine months. My middle boy was six, and my daughter is, uh, she still has feet every now and then. And she's, um, she's nearly seven. Uh, now, just pause there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> you have a, a near seven-year-old who, who still who still feeds from your breast. Talk to me a little bit about that, Maria, because forgive me, and I, I don't wish to be clumsy with language or anything here. That sounds bizarre. It's not bizarre. It's just part of our family life. Like, it's not a bit bizarre to us. I have, I have many friends who fed their children up to about the age of seven. It, it depends on, you know, the circles you move in. What's normal for your family is, uh, you know, may not be normal for my family. Mm. Um, I mean, as I, I was, when I mentioned that interview with the Echo there, I, I was talking to the interviewer. Like, I mean, when she was five, you know, just before the coronavirus hit, in March 2020, she was very sick in December, and uh, I was so I'm so glad I was still feeding yeah. her. Like, and uh, she she didn't she had like fever for four days, and she just you know she fed, she was hydrated. Like, I mean, breast milk doesn't change after six months. Sure, you wean like it's it's still it's actually it's actually more potent, right? Because the less they feed, the more potent the immunities and the antibodies are in it. Sure. Kind of like getting a shot of goodness, like. Um, it's not like she feed, she wants to feed every ten minutes, or she doesn't feed like a newborn. Okay, she has, like a comfort feed at night to sleep. Mm. Okay, that's, that's so so how how frequently routine. maybe Maria? How frequently would she? I just said at uh, night time. You know, she just just a comfort feed at, uh, to um, sleep at night. I yeah. see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. And and how long will I mean how long will you continue until she wants to stop or Yeah, I think we're get, we're getting there like you know like in in anthropological terms children would have fed up to like between 4 to 7 years that would be kind of the natural weaning age. Right. Um throughout the world. Okay. Yeah, are you shocked? <laughs> no, I'm not. No, no, I'm not shocked. Actually, no, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a little surprised. I, I, I would have thought. Okay, I've, I've heard of, I've spoken to people before who've breastfed their children up to two and a half and and yeah. three, uh, but just it's, it's unusual to say the least. Would, would do you know of other people who 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 feed their children that late in life? Yeah, I would. I would know know other people. Yeah, yeah. so it's you know I'd be kind of normal enough and there's many you see that's the problem as well we have no statistics after about six months yes of how many children are still being breastfed in Ireland 
Um, you know, and we need to figure out a way to collect them. I don't know, like maybe like the census, you know, the census, what is it, every four years it comes out? Yeah. You know, if we were to like put that question in our um, in our census um, yeah. surveys, you know, because we kind of need to know what those figures are too, like, yeah. because, um, you know, many children continue feeding beyond six months. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. You asked me, you asked me, was I shocked? No, my, my response is, well, if that's, if, 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 if that's what suits you and suits, is it Aurora is your little girl's name? Yes. If that's yeah. what suits you and suits her, then, then off with you. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. and the blessings yeah. of God in you, as they used to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like my, my own role as a lactation consultant is to, you know, support women to uh, establish breastfeeding. And like, I mean, if you feed for, you know, six hours, six days, six weeks, six years, you know, it's it's whatever, whatever the family wants, you know. Yes. It's, it's, yeah. And it's important for society and community to support them. Do you think, um, and lastly, do you, do you think that there needs to be more encouragement to mums? To at least try. Absolutely. Like, I mean, you know, when sometimes you, if, you know, I, I've often mothers would tell me they've, you know, they'd be telling their family they're going to breastfeed and people would say, oh, well, you know, if it, if it works out for you or, well, sure, I guess you can give it a try. But you'd never say that if someone said, you know, I'm going to go and run that marathon there now next year. Oh, yeah, you go for that, you know, and if there's anything I can do to help you. Absolutely, get on to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's attitudinal kind of change we need, is what I think. Yeah, so. yeah, and oh, confidence, yeah. and and women have to have confidence in their ability to continue on after you know because they're pregnant for nine months, and the the next step is breastfeeding. Um, yeah. And as you say in the Echo article, yeah. as you say in the Echo article, well, milk teeth. The clue is in the name. Yes. Children yeah, t- yeah. children lose their first set of teeth and they could be five, six and seven. The clue is in the name. Maria, I'll leave it there for today. Thank you very much for that. That's Maria O'Sullivan, lactation consultant, who believes that not only should more women be breastfeeding, but that they should be breastfeeding later in life, as late as is comfortable for them and their youngster. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, tomorrow we'll be announcing the winners of the Best of Cork Awards. Stay listening all day Friday. Find out if your favourite has won across the day, revealing the winners Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie presented tomorrow on Cork's 96FM. We'll have a couple of them to hand out here on the show. 1850-715-996. Looking to the All-Ireland Final. Also something we'll be doing tomorrow is we want your voice notes, your WhatsApp voice notes for the team to wish the lads the best of luck on Sunday. Indeed, the minors. The weekend. Like I said earlier on this morning, we've got one All Ireland title down with the under 20s last night, two more to go with the minors and the seniors playing in the hurling. So tomorrow, 083 396 96 96, record your little 
voice note 30, 40 seconds who you are where you're from if you're in a club let us know your club if you have a favourite player mention your favourite player and just wish them well I will play a few of them during the opinion line tomorrow before the news I just I wasn't um, shocked when Maria was telling me about her daughter Aurora I was a little surprised to say the least but I think the message of of what she's of where, of, of where she's coming from is really look breastfeed your children until such time as they want to stop and clearly her children have gone on longer than most would and but it's not unusual she said in the circles in which she moves breastfeed your children first of all if you can and then do continue until they want to stop I wonder what you think 1850 so Maria's argument that we stop breastfeeding too early or don't breastfeed at all. I want to talk now to Dr. Mary O'Kane, who's a lecturer in psychology and education. And Mary's argument is not about breastfeeding at all, it's about school. And Mary, you say we start kids to school a bit too early in, in this country and we need to think about it. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Lovely to talk to you. And to you. Five is the average starting age now, I would have thought if you asked me. Is it? It is. And this is a really good thing, PJ. The Department of Education published figures earlier this week to say now about over 80% of children are five or more when they start. And this is really, really good news because traditionally, PJ, we have historically started children at four or even sometimes when they're late three before the fourth birthday even. Um, and it's so young to start them. Um, and we kind of know why this is changing. And um, You know, um, the, we call it the ECHI scheme. It's officially the government call it the Early Childhood Care and yeah. Education Scheme. A lot of parents will know it as the free preschool year. And um, that came in in about 2010 and it meant that the children were getting one free year of preschool, well, three hours a day. Then about 2016, the government swapped that to two years. And this has had a, this effect, DJ, of children getting that bit longer in preschool. And it means they're starting at an older age. And funny, the research tells us it's good. If we look at somewhere like, say, Finland, they don't start till seven. Yeah. In Denmark, the children start at six. Yeah. And all the research on those countries shows us that these children consistently, when they're older, they achieve better educational results and, even more important in my view, um, better levels of well-being. Yeah. So, so I, have a, I have a friend who is... Uh she lectures in nursing in, in Sweden and she's lived there now for quite a number of years. But she said one of the things that surprised her most when she moved there was how late they actually send their children to school. And she was saying it to someone, she was, no, no, we don't send them late, you send them too early. Yeah. <laughs> well, PJ, I would agree with that. I really would. And it's funny, and I must say one thing, it's not so much the number, okay? So it's not that age. It's more of what they're doing in those early years. So we know that they're better off in preschool. Preschools are really developmentally appropriate play-based learning. So it's if you're thinking about their social development, their emotional development, even their physical development, you're much more likely to be outside in preschools that the preschool practitioners are better equipped to really support the children with all that social and emotional stuff. And when they, when they go into the primary school classroom, and even if you think the teachers potentially have one teacher with 30 children, 
in the preschool, they might have a ratio of one to ten. So they can really concentrate on their social emotional skills. And we know that they are the skills that help children succeed in school, like mm. things like their independence, their social skills, their language, their communication. Um, so it's not so much the, the number five, it's more that these children have had an extra year of learning through play, so their, their skills are better developed. We know that their little brains at that age soak stuff up like a sponge. You know, yeah. Developmental psychology tells us that. But, yeah. but it's the way it's presented to them. How, how important is that? Oh, PJ, that's exactly it. We have um, we have a framework in Ireland called Ashther, and this framework covers preschool and also junior and senior infants, and it is an absolutely play-based framework. So it's really arguing that we need children learn to through play, that we should be focusing on the holistic development, but we know that that framework at the moment is much more successful in the preschools. And remember, sometimes parents think. Oh, sure, you know, play. Like, you, just, you throw them out and they play. Our yeah, playing is something you do after school. Yeah, well, exactly, isn't that it? But our, our preschool practitioners now are so well trained. I mean, so many of them are degree level qualified. They're as well qualified as the primary school teachers. And they, they have, I suppose, the time and the space to provide opportunities for exploration, for creativity, meaning making. So it's a real, a real quality experience. It's, it's life changing for a child. You know, it provides these foundations that will stand them right through primary school, mm. right through secondary school, probably. You know, we still have the thing, though, uh, Mary, that, and I'm, th- I'm thinking in terms of, you know, people who've had babies during lockdown or, yeah. You know, they're one maybe are coming up for two now. And it used to be the thing a few years ago that literally, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not minimizing this. The, the moment that the pregnancy test came back, you started looking at putting the child's name down in schools because otherwise they wouldn't get a place. And that's yeah. why they start them early because there's a shortage of places and you take the first school that'll take them. Yeah, and funny, I think though, PJ, because of the demand, the schools as well are encouraging them to start older. And funny, they know that it's better. Like the primary teachers, the principals, they know it's better for the children to start older. And I, say, I keep saying start older, you know, it's not the number. It's, it's all these skill sets that they have developed. And funny, PJ, you mentioned lockdown. A lot of the children now that would be going in September may struggle a little bit with separation anxiety because they haven't had the normal two years yes. of socialization and whatever. And in fact, if you don't mind, I have two quick little tips. And in fact, I have lots of information on my Facebook page or on social media if you want to have a look. But can I give you these tips? Because they're, they're really simple and they're so easy. The first one is called Pebble in My Pocket. And if you have a child that's nervous or if they're nervous starting even with preschool, if they're nervous, you get two little pebbles that are very similar from the beach or even little your garden, two little stones. You keep one in your pocket and the child keeps the other in their pocket or the pencil case when they went to school and you tell them if you're nervous at all, if you miss me, squeeze the pebble and I will squeeze the pebble in my pocket. Our young children are really concrete so having something that they can physically feel really helps. Or the second one is a little matching love heart and you draw a little love heart on the child's pulse point. You draw one on your own 
and you tell them if you're missing me at all, if you're thinking of me, just put your two fingers on the love heart and they feel their pulse. So it's like a heartbeat. And you tell them that you can feel it and it's like my little heartbeat, you think of me and I'll put my fingers on my love heart. Really simple little stuff, PJ. But if any little ones are struggling with separation, I promise parents these little things really help. Funny that you should mention that now because we're only coming up in the next couple of weeks to first days at school for thousands of, of youngsters. Maybe we could talk to you again around that time. I'd love to be, Jake, because I have lots of advice and tips. I did my PhD on children starting school, so it's one of my favourite topics. All right. Well, look, we will. That We'll talk to, talk to Fergal and Katie there, and we'll talk to you again when the kids are starting school, because, you know, I, I, I joke every, every year that there's tears at the gate, and that's just mum. Yeah. But, <laughs> and dad sometimes, but... Uh, it's it's a whole it's a massive adventure in a young child's life but ju- not just that in their parents life too so maybe we'll talk again when they are all going back or when they are all starting would you Lovely, be up for that PJ definitely I'll talk again and as I said if people want to have a look on social media Dr Mary O'Kane I've popped up some advice there Okay. All right. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Dr. Mary O'Kane, lecturer in psychology and education. And she got her PhD, she's just told me, in children starting school. So we'll, we'll do that when it comes around. And what we might do, what we might do is get you to send in some questions or some queries for Dr. O'Kane. And we'll bring her on in the days running up to the first days in school. Which, I think that's a plan, Fergal. I certainly think. 1850-715-996. Something else we need to start teaching our youngsters about is money. Because unfortunately, it's the, the filthy lucre that gets us through life. You're nothing without it. And if you have it, you need to hold on to it. If you haven't got it, you need to find out how to get it. And you need to save and you need to mind it and learn. Just learn how to handle money and when is too young or when is too old to learn how to handle money is there ever too young that's my next guest's plan for our children I've talked to him in a couple minutes 1850-715-996 can we just talk the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group call them now for motor, home, business, farm life and health insurance cmig.ie Quark's 96FM's Be Kind to Your Mind with GP, author and wellness expert, Dr. Mark Rowe. The pandemic has really had an impact on people's mental health and emotional well-being. You don't have to make radical changes to really enhance your well-being. I talk about the power of small, the the small positive changes that will add up to make a big difference. So I think self-care is really, really important. It's an absolute foundational choice by looking after yourself, whether it's your physical health, your mental health or your emotional well-being, that you doing that not just enables you to be the best version of you in the world, it supports everybody around you, whether it's your family, your work colleagues, your friends, neighbours, your community. Helping you through COVID. Helping you through COVID. Cork's 96 FM. 083 396 On Cork's 96 FM. So he's not been on the show in quite a while, so it's good to catch up uh, once again with John Lowe, the money doctor. John, oh, he was there online, online too. Fergal, we might, uh, three, we might check again there for me. But he, he dropped off the line when I went to him. 1850-715-996. Just to remind you of our photographs that we're asking you to send in. We want you to get behind our All-Ireland Hurling finalists. 
and we need your help with this. Uh, we've got hundreds of pictures coming in and they're great and some people are going all out. You show your support by decorating your house or your business in the cork colours. Flags, bunting, get creative, paint something. Just do something daft. Paint your wheelie bin red and white or something. Just do something daft. And then WhatsApp us the photo. We'll give 500 euro to the best house and 500 euro to the best business. But also, we've managed to secure and pin down a pair of tickets for the match on Sunday. Thanks to Borgosh Energy, who are proud sponsors of the GA Hurling All-Ireland Senior Championship and the Legend Tour series at Croke Park. So WhatsApp your pictures in to 083-396-9696 and we'll announce winners Thursday evening and uh, stay listening to win. We're getting some great ones. Some absolutely great pictures coming in. He's there, is he? Thanks, Fergal. John Lowe, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How is the money, Doctor? It's been a while. It has been a while and it's a, it's a very blustery, wet uh, Dublin I'm... Uh, <laughs> talking from but it's 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 everything is good everything is all grand good man now i know you've got a, a new service with regard to wills and i'll touch on that in a minute but the, the real purpose of our conversation this morning is question how young or at what age should you start teaching your children about the reality of money you know from the moment they're born you, you know we forget that children are hugely influenced especially in the first two years by the way first two years of their life um, you know, you bring them to a supermarket. If, if you were imagine that you were uh, an outer space person and you go shopping with your mum and dad in a supermarket for the very first time, you'd be, you'd be wondering when they get to the checkout uh, what this girl at the other end of the checkout operator uh, is doing. And that then suddenly your mum or dad passes over whatever it is, currency or some notes. All of those things are very strange to that child. But you will, uh, it's, and it is really, PJ, all about attitude because, you know, it's your approach to money that's going to influence your children. So if you don't discuss money in front of them, they won't learn anything. And whatever emotions you display, you know, such as fear or worry or indifference, uh, th- that will color their relationship with money for, for life. Um, and especially things like if you're mean with money or you're, or you're overly generous or, or you never waste a penny um, or you... Don't, you know, you spend like there's no tomorrow. Your children will be watching and learning. So it really is important that you get, first of all, your own influences sorted before you let your children see what you're doing. So even even toddlers, school going, preschool going kids can, can understand. They don't, they don't know what money is. Well, you know, there's a thing, there's an average, um, there is an average uh, uh, kind of pocket money that kids get up to, in national school, by the way, so that's from, from five, six years of age to 11, 12, it's 10 euros a week. It's 20 euros secondary, and it's 60 euros uh, once you're in third level. Now, my three children, by the way, were in the one year in all three levels. <laughs> so I had a 10, 17, and 20-year-old. But the thing is that even that 10 euros for, say, that 7-year-old, that 8-year-old, I think that 7 is, is the right age about, you know, telling them about money, which is the age of reason. And at, at, at seven years of age, you give them, say, 10 euros, and that is, you know, to kind of get their, you know, uh, bottle of water or their, you know, their, their sandwich in school or whatever it is. Um, but they have control, and they can then put some money aside, like maybe two euros a week to, to, to help, say, for mummy and daddy's birthday 
or, their, or, or their siblings' birthday. So they're, they're already learning at a very early age how to kind of save, how to earn, and, and even little odd jobs around the house, like do the back, you know, mow the lawn. And mum says, I'll give you two euros if you mow the lawn. Now they can, they can uh, you know, get that two euros and, and they can put it against, say, uh, a pair of jeans that cost 30 euros. They need to do the lawn 15 times. Mm. So they need to learn these things because we all know people around us, adults. Some people are naturally good with money. Some people are naturally not very good with money. Some people are tight. Some people are too flourishing because the, the old Irish word was, you learn the habits in your childhood. That's right. And you learn from those around you. That's right. And it's everything, actually, PJ. I mean, even you look at Rory McIlroy, at three years of age, he was playing golf. I mean, that's why he's so good today. My my own son started playing golf when he was six. He plays off two now. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So, so yeah. So, I mean, it does. The the younger, uh, they do learn. They really, really do learn. And they're listening. They may not be, uh, you may think that they're not uh, understanding, but they understand. And especially in those first two, three years. Because mm, the worry that people have, and look, we know, John, a lot of people listening to us, particularly at the, over the last 18 months, money's been tight in a lot of homes because people have been surviving on a PUP or things like that. Yeah. And there's an old belief, don't discuss money in front of your children. Oh, gosh, I would be the exact opposite, PJ. Uh, I think you should discuss it because there's nothing worse than suddenly finding, you know, you're 15 years of age and... Um, your, your dad has just gone bankrupt and you're going to have to give up the house. You know, that's absolutely horrendous. Whereas, you know... It- There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If they're upfront, maybe they may, you know, that 15-year-old might have a solution. A 15-year-old might be able to say, hey, listen, I'll go out and do some work uh, part-time that'll help the household. It's really pulling together, and that's why I think... Mm-hmm. See, the instinct is to protect them from that reality, John, that it's, it's an adult's problem, it's not a child's problem. Well, it's, it certainly hits them right in the eyes, in the middle of their eyes, once uh, the, the, kind of, uh, the, the news is out. We've lost our house. We've now, the business is gone. I mean, that's horrendous. What, what would be better to soften the blow? Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting take. I wonder what listeners would think. So don't be afraid to talk to them about the reality of money, no matter how tough a reality it is, and the reality of, of paying bills and all of that. Don't be, don't be afraid to talk to them, no matter well, how... Well, they can, 
they can see, PJ, that, that you can cope. You can cope with uh, your money issues and that you're able to cope well and that you've, you're organized and you've decided, you know, there's all sorts of, like, the snowball effect is where, you know, you're paying off your, your highest debt, uh, the, you know, the, not the highest debt, but the, the most expensive debt first, you know, highest interest, uh, you know, short term. That's the killer, really. Uh, credit card debt is another killer. Uh, but if, if, you know, they see that you're spending left, right and center and they don't know where the money is coming from, they, they know there's going to be problems in the future. Okay, it's an interesting take. I wonder what people think. John, just I know that you're doing something. We might do something at, at more detail uh, down the road. You have a, you set up a, a service for wills because you believe we should all have a will. Well, 70% of the nation do not have a will. And I can tell you one thing, PJ, it is an absolute disaster if you die intestate, which is having no will. Because you've got to then go and get legal representation. You've got to go to the high court. You've got to go and, and uh, there's high costs, there's delays, there's hassle. And that takes forever. Um, so to, to have a will is much simpler. Uh, 99% of those 70% are very modest uh, estates, which is, which is basically possessions, and, and ordinary um, relationships. They're, they're not you know, complicated. Yeah. So you, you can do it yourself, essentially. You don't need a solicitor to draft your own will. You also don't need a solicitor to do probate. Because I know a lot of people are listening now, they're going, ah, come here now, I, should I have nothing to put into a will? Once you have over 25,000, you need to have a will because, again, if you had a, 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 a box pop down in the middle of Cork and ask every second person, what is probate? I would say you'd have quite an interesting collection of, of answers. But probate is a very misunderstood word. It's the entire legal administration of a dead person's possessions or estate. You have to go through that if, if you have possessions. Uh, every, every person in, in Ireland has to. And so are you talking that, about the, the, the kitchen you're sitting in, the car you drove to work this morning? Simple, are they things that come up, are they classed as assets that you can use to make a will? Yes. Assets are your property, your, your, your accounts, your possession. You might have a decent car. You might have a decent set of clubs. You might have a, a guitar that's worth a few bob. All of those things are known as assets or estate, your estate. And therefore, you have a right to uh, you know, leave that to somebody who you care about. And uh, it is much simpler to actually make a will. You know, the one, one of the things, this is a low-cost package uh, where it's only 50 euros plus fat and everything's explained, uh, PJ, on the website, moneydoctors.ie forward slash wills or just go to the uh, website and you'll see wills and probate on the menu bar. Just click into that. It, and, and this is actually, the reason why I've, I've uh, launched it is because uh, I wouldn't dream of leaving my personal details on a website. So what I've done is I've got three willed, uh, Word document templates one is your specific will. There's only six types of will. And say you click into whatever your, your you could be married, civil, with, with adult children, for instance. You click into that. There are eight documents you yeah. download. Three of them are Word documents, including the will. So that means you can actually do it on your own laptop or you can actually print off and handwrite. Okay. The second document is list of assets and, and personal information. It's a really uh, elaborate six-page document to record all your assets, all your properties, your accounts, your PC password, your mobile phone password, your social media password, everything is there, your PPS number. And then the rules, there's only 10 tips, which is the rules and regulations when you have to make a will, which is things like you've got to nominate a, a person to represent you called the executor or executrix. You have to have two witnesses who cannot benefit. And I am suggesting all along, all of these people, they put their full names, addresses, 
air codes and their PPS numbers so there's no ambiguity. And and just like there's no age that's too young to start teaching your children about money, your suggestion, John, today is there's no age too young to start Absolutely making Absolutely not, because if you're a young married couple and you've just got your first child, now you've got a, a problem if anything, God forbid, happens to either of you okay. because you've got to nominate a guardian. So that's, you know, a married or civil union uh, with children under 18. Um, you know, they need a guardian or a trusteeship. All of those things are, are, are catered for in this. Okay, uh, and it's, it's all there on the, on the website, moneydoctors.ie. John Lowe, thank you very much, as always. 1850-715-996. His suggestion that it's never, your children are never too young to talk about money in front of them. One thing my father taught me, says this comment was, how he'd never give me money without me doing a job. And one bit of advice from myself is, if you don't have it, don't pretend you have it. Show them that not every day is a payday. And Kevin, with regard to schools and when we start school, as it is, most kids were finishing the leaving do so at 19. If you include transition year, if you start any later than five in school, then this becomes 20. 1850-715-996. A lot to think about. How would you, How have you got a will? Is anybody listening to me right now who, who has a will made? And what age are you? And with regard to your kids, would you do that? Like if you're two, three, four, smallies, like proper smallies, would you let them into your financial concerns? John's argument is, well, if they know how important money is in your house, and if they know the facts that money just doesn't literally grow on trees, and if they learn from a very young age that money can be hard to deal with, that it's good for them. We were always taught before, never make an adult's problem a child's problem. Never discuss your money worries in front of your kids. John's attitude is the complete opposite. Actually do, because they need to learn this. What would you think? 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Joanne McNally comes to the Everyman stage with her brand new sellout show, The Prosecco Express. Joanne tackles the trials and tribulations of modern life with hilarious, charming irreverence with extra shows now added due to demand. Access all areas. The Highfalutin Flute Quartet will play the final concert in Triscoll's Six Summertime Concert Series, taking place on Saturday 28th. You can check out further information and tickets at triscollartscentre.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. We still have no idea what happened to those goats that were seen before. We, we were getting calls before we came on air at 9 o'clock that five goats, a mother and what looked like four kids, kid goats, had been spotted around St. Luke's and they were kind of traipsing from St. Luke's up towards 
the Montanotti Hotel. No one seemed to know who owned them or where they were from. And we still have no detail or no reason, recent photographs as to where they ended up. Uh, one caller said they're just passing through as they head home from Puck Fair, disgusted that they weren't crowned. Is Puck Fair even on this year? I don't, I doubt that, I doubt that it is. 1850-715-996. We do not know what the weather holds uh, over the next few days. We, looking at the various models, and Alan and Carla Weather and the Met Office and many other people around are looking at the weekend as being fairly grotty here in Cork. Uh, it's going to be a, it's going to disimprove dramatically over the last next 24 hours and then you're looking at Saturday being pretty much a washout Sunday not quite so bad and then some nice weather into next week long term speculation is that we could get some hot stuff back and by that I mean mid 20s like we had in early July and to mid July is it possible? What's likely to happen? We, we genuinely don't know because all of the various forecasting models are kind of telling us different things at the moment. Uh, Nick Critch, good morning to you. Hello, yeah. Hi. I'm here. How are you? Uh, good. Can, can we expect to see anything like a return to what we have in the second or had in the second half of July? At the moment, no. Um, realistically, no. Not at the moment. Um, like, yeah, like as you were saying, like tomorrow is meant to be very very wet, and um, Saturday also is a not not a great day either. Um, like it does look to improve from Sunday. Like Sunday could well be a, a largely dry day uh, with sunny spells. Monday it gets like for at the start of next week it looks um, to be getting a lot nicer. Um, pretty much for the whole week it's looking like now. Um, but yeah, like I don't like temperatures could reach twenty three, twenty four possibly early yeah. next week, um, but. Definitely not into the 30s or anything like we've had recently. Well, will uh, we take low... T- at the end of August, you will take low to mid-20s in Ireland all day long. For sure, yeah, exactly. Yeah, look, we take what we get. Uh, like, we were... Like, some people loved the hot weather, some people didn't. Like, we were blessed to have that that dry spell, you know, because um, it's been a pretty wet before that. There was a lot of rain before that. So, you know, like, any dry spell is good. Um and yeah, like it's it's looking like it's going to be dry for next week. Um, towards the end of the week, there's a little bit of uncertainty. This like could be another look. It could become more unsettled yeah. uh, by the weekend, but that's still a long way away. You yes. know, like anything, five to seven days is still tricky, tricky to predict because all the models are showing different things at this stage. You know, and that's strange. We we know that this massive and look, it's it's very uncomfortable for people in Italy and Spain and France at the moment and there are heat warnings and we should bear that in mind. Like we're we're talking about getting a little bit at the end of summer. Some people are suffering with the heat down over over Europe. But there's this Azores high is there. Now it came up on top of us in in late July because yeah, yeah. the prevailing conditions allowed it up. Yeah. Uh, the prevailing conditions at the moment will not allow it up. Is that is that what we're looking at? Yeah, like it's looking like West of Ireland, out to sea, uh, could get warmer weather. Um, but it doesn't look like it. There's a high pressure that's going to situate over, like Scotland, kind of up that kind of direction. Um, and that's going to keep the weather dry, and like that's what allows it to pull up uh, the hot air from the south. But it is looking like it could be further west, um, mm. uh, like the warmer air. So we're not going to get the very warm air. Um, and like it, it doesn't even look like it's going to be that warm. But yeah, but then again, it is warmer. The, the, the other side of that is Nick. 
if it does settle a little bit off the west, it keeps the nasties from the Atlantic away from us. Exactly. So, so yeah, it, yeah. it allows for improvement anyway, no matter where it sits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like yeah, as long as it's the high pressure is to the east Martin, it keeps like most of the time it keeps low pressure systems at bay, and that's what we'll see after like Sunday into next good. week is is a lot more drier weather, good. some good sunny spells as well, especially earlier in the week. Will we get one more lash off the charcoal that's in the shed? Will we? Ah, uh, I'd say so. <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say be ordering the oil fairly soon. Like I don't, I don't think it'll be uh, lasting very long. Sure, but we might get one. We might get one more. One more bit in the barbecue uh, next yeah, week. Yeah, uh, hopefully. Yeah, like look, you know, like it, yeah, like it's gonna be it's gonna be mild. You know, uh, mild to warm, especially early next week. All right. Uh, we'll, well, we'll take that in in in, in the second or the, the the last week. Of uh, of August will take that. Nick Critch from Weather Alerts Ireland, eighteen fifty seven one five nine six. Just looking at my favourite, and I, I I keep coming back to it. My favourite app is the Dark Sky Weather app, and it has served me extremely well for quite a long time now. And it tells me that tomorrow is absolute crap. Let's uh, Saturday, not much better. Warm rain Saturday, Sunday. Uh, nice and dry and cloudy for a lot of Sunday. Now, Monday, bright and sunny. Tuesday, bright and sunny. Wednesday, bright and sunny. Thursday, a little bit of cloud, but still sunny. So definitely, the Dark Sky app, very obliging for Cork for the early to middle of next week. We'll take that. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Douglas Court Shopping Centre. They've got everything you need and more. Visit douglascourt.ie. Cork's 96FM. We've been talking since the start of the week to members of the Afghan community here in Ireland, and Cork in particular, about their concerns for the people at home after the Taliban uh, seized power over the last couple of weeks. And earlier this morning, I caught up with Abdul. So, Abdul, what part of Afghanistan are you from? And have you been in touch with your family? Yeah, I was born in Kabul, and uh, I've been in touch with my family every day, at least at least once. Yeah. How are they? They are they're good, but... Uh, not mentally, they're very kind of in a panicking um, situation, and uh, because they had the previous experience from uh, from um, Taliban first time, and uh, they are okay, but they are very, very in a in a um, uh, situation that they are confused what to do, and it's uh, yeah. uh, scary for them. Do you have sisters? I have sister. Yeah, I have sister. Yeah. Yeah, she must be very worried about life under the Taliban. I mean, if they remember it from the last time. Yes, yes. Um, of course, yeah. She has a family now. She has children. And uh, they are um, 
Absolutely, uh, it's uh, panicking for them. As it is, she's scared and um, she's really worried about the situation. What's going to happen? And mm. uh, this is um, quite scary for them. Yeah, uh, yeah, I spoke with them, and they were kind of uh, they were just thinking what to do, like uh, try to leave the country or how how to leave the country, and uh, um, everything comes at once. It's so hard for them. Yes. Yes. When was the last time that you were home and that you saw them? Oh, I I think it was seven to eight years ago. I was in Kabul. Yeah, I went. I I, I met them after a long, long time, and um, since then I haven't seen them. I, uh, I'm in touch with them with the phone or yeah. even video calls, but not physically. You worried about them, Abdul? Oh yes, of course. I worried about them. I worried about the not only my my close family. I worried about the whole country. I'm worried about my because it's not only my family there. So my relatives are there, like uh, you know your neighbors, your uh, your classmates, your 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 people at the, in, in, in a general, all your people because that's my country. So I am worried about every single person in there. Yeah. Especially my family, close family. You can remember uh, the last time that the Taliban were in charge. What kind of memories do you have? I remember that Taliban was the Taliban that I, I don't think so even one person liked them. I think the previous Taliban, it was, it was um, um, very bad people, very bad, very, very bad people, uh, very cruel people. Uh, they were doing something absolutely against Islam. And uh, um, I don't like them at all, That or even I hate them, uh, those Taliban. But these Taliban that they came now, it's a bit changed. You can see, you can see a change. They are not looking after revenge which is uh, very, very important. And um, um, it's kind of, they got an experience, they yes. got an experience uh, for the last 20 years, that if they're carrying on that way, people will hate them, people don't like them. Uh, so I think, um, you know, whatever they say, like the current Taliban, whatever they say, if they stand in their promises, if they stand in their words, uh, probably people will stand by them and be happy with them. Mm. The way that they came back to power so quickly, were you surprised by that? Absolutely, yes. Like, um, almost at all time when they were trying to get somewhere, like even a province or somewhere or even a small village, it was taking at least a day, at least a day or two days, or at least 24 hours. But now, <laughs> it's like you're traveling, you're traveling at a high, high speed to go from one area to another area. They came just like that. Like, uh, I think it was all planned. It was something that, it was all planned, and there was the road was absolutely empty for them, and they were just going at high speed and mm. coming from very far provinces and come to the come to Kabul it is absolutely unexpected and it was 
it was very, very quickly and surprising for everybody. How do you feel about the Americans, about the British, about NATO, and the way they have let this happen? I think so, yeah. America has failed in this mission, actually. They, they fought with them, with the highest well-trained, well-trained soldiers and the highest weapon and um, well-trained soldiers, troops, for the last 20 years. And they even they couldn't destroy a group of people that I cannot call them a country. I cannot even call them half of the country. And uh, they couldn't destroy them. And actually, they facilitate this for Taliban to come to Kabul. Yeah. Have any of your family been been injured now or in the past? Um, you know, it's not only my my family. Uh, of course, we all love our family, but you know, if if fighting is in your country, it means it is is taking all the people there. No, my family was not injured, but but they were very very they were very very close to being injured to be even death in that time. Uh, in one of the bombs in the mosque uh, happened recently, and um, um, a lot of people are killed there. I was watching news every day. Yeah. Every single day there was a bomb blast, there was a mine blast. There was uh, uh, killing at least at least 50 people to 100 people daily, daily, every day, every single day. So if your family is still okay there, still you're worried about your relatives, about your, about, about your people, about the country, what's going to happen. So it's all worrying me. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, for this time tomorrow, and indeed for the whole show tomorrow, we're looking for you to contribute in your own voice. Voice notes. We want your voice notes on WhatsApp to wish the best to our Cork hurlers, minor and senior for the weekend, as they head into the All-Ireland final. As they're saying in the news all morning there, one All Ireland title down, two to go after the over twenty, or the under twenties last night, the minors of the weekend, and the seniors of the weekend on Sunday against Limerick. So to wish the team well, to wish your favourite player well, to just give a message that we can have here on the show tomorrow. Get your voice notes in, maybe thirty seconds, forty seconds, oh eight three. 396 96 96. WhatsApp them in. Tell us who you are. Tell us where you're from. Tell us who, the, whatever you want to say to the hurlers and your club. If you're a member of a club, let us know. And we'll run as many of them as we can on the program tomorrow. All right? Voice notes to support the Cork hurling team heading into the weekend. Can you imagine if by Sunday we had three? All-Ireland titles for the hurlers in Cork. Wouldn't it be great? It's been so long coming. It's great. We really, really would be great. We got one in the bag already from the under-20s last night. The minors are on Saturday and the seniors are on Sunday. And there's fierce excitement. Fierce excitement altogether. Uh, Someone said the goats are headed for Grand Parade and then there'll be murder altogether. If you know, you know.
Um, uh, they're gone to the Montanati for a staycation, says Bernie. Uh, they're looking for Michal Martin. They want to join Fianna Fáil, says another message. <laughs> 1850715996 If you look up to the sky tonight uh, or tomorrow night you will be able to see something big and bright presumably the night will be clear enough we hope the night will be clear enough but if you get a clear sky tonight there will be something big and bright there the planet Jupiter is to be visible tonight and tomorrow night, Francis McCarthy is at Blackrock Castle Observatory. It's in opposition, Francis. It is. What yes. does that mean? Well, imagine you had two friends and you're standing right between them. Right. What do you have to do with your head? You've got to you move your head. Turn one way to say hello to one, but your other friend is exactly opposite side of you from the first friend. So you've got to turn your head to talk to your other friend. Right. You're the Earth. One friend is the sun, the other friend is Jupiter. And you're smack dab in the middle. Okay. So they appear on opposite sides of the sky. So when the sun goes down, Jupiter is coming up. Because we're in a straight line in space and we're piggy in the middle. So really, Jupiter this evening will be where the sun came up this morning. Spot on. Wow. Well, actually... We're tilted as we go around the sun. Remember the seasons? Yeah. We were talking about those. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be coming up where the sun would come up in winter. So it'll be really quite far south. And it won't rise as high as the sun does in the daytime sky. It'll be where the sun would be in winter. So look for it rising in the southeast, going across the southern part of the sky, reasonably low, but honkingly bright, really right. gorgeous. And it's not just tonight. It, this, it's just this is the best time right. because it's brightest, because it's typically closest. Remember, we're doing those laps of the sun. Yeah. So each year we are on the same side of the sun as Jupiter because it goes around much more slowly than us because it's much further away. So once a year we're in opposition, and that's when we're closest to it in our orbit. So mm. that helps it look awfully bright. Now, how will we know, apart from the position in the sky, how will we know that's not just the moon? Well, the moon looks bigger. The moon is, is physically much, much closer to us, so mm. appears optically in the sky as a much bigger object. So I was walking back, having missed the last bus on Tuesday, walking down the river, and the moon was just setting behind some clouds and some buildings and Jupiter was above it to the left, looking like an incredibly brilliant star, whereas the moon was looking like a big, huge orange slab of pizza. It looked amazing because it was just going into the sun. It was just setting and it was amazing. There are some lovely moons at the moment, actually, the last few nights. There's some Mm. lovely moons. Mm. The evenings are starting to draw in and the mornings are starting to darken. I was up this morning and thinking, oh, that sun's in a different place. I'm not getting it right in my eyes at the breakfast table. Well, what I'm noticing, Francis, is the the last, I think the last four or five mornings in particular, when my alarm goes off at 20 to quarter to six, it's darker than it's been for quite some time. Absolutely. I'm kind of a 6.30 waker as well, and it's it's definite, well, I'm trying to put it down to the clouds, 
Yeah. But it, the sun's definitely rising later. If you think we're hitting the equinox in September. Yes, yes. You know, it. so from the end of June, which midsummer, don't talk to me about the start of summer, that's midsummer. We've gone through July, we're heading into August. We're over halfway to equinox when it's rising at six and setting at six. Allowing for time changes. Right, right. The, the, yeah, the, you and I have had the argument we about have, summer. We have. <laughs> I think we, we kind of agreed to differ. Uh, we kind of agreed that I'm right yeah. and you just are sticking I, to a different culture I, and a different way of looking at it. Well, I've got an app on my phone that gives me the exact date of autumn and it's the middle of September. And who wrote that app? Meteorologists. And not from this country and this culture. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll fight you on this one. I, I know you will. I know you it. will. A lot of people do, and I love having the argument a couple of times a year. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. To me, so, I think, it, to, to me, I think, I, I just want summer to last. Yeah. Do you know? But, anyway, besides that, Jupiter tonight, If we, we, I don't know if we'll have a clear sky. Doesn't matter. It, oh. It's amazing. It's just amazing for the next weeks and weeks and weeks. It really is. Because if you think it's going to be getting a little bit darker earlier. Yeah. So as we head into the autumn, the the sky kind of hangs because you go out a little bit earlier each night. Yeah. So it undoes the effect of us moving around the sun. So you see the same stars and the same sky I see. as you head outside. So Jupiter is with us for the whole autumn. Tonight, it'll be the whole night that long that we're able to see it. It will be rising at a slightly different time as we, as we head, you know, a couple of weeks into the future. But you're still going to be able to see it. Okay. So if you're out the back, if you, say your back garden is south-facing, mm-hmm. where would you look? Um, you need to be kind of about two or three hands above the horizon. So hold your arm out at arm's length. Stretch out your thumb and your finger and go... Thumb to finger, thumb to finger, thumb to finger. About three of them. Right. All right. And, and really, you can't miss it. Okay. Look forward. Okay. Look forward to seeing it. Me too. Francis, thank you as always. Francis McCarthy from CIT Blackrock Castle Observatory. The old argument. I'll even argue with the Blackrock Castle Observatory about summer and autumn and winter and spring. And I love that argument. 1850-715-996. But tonight, Jupiter will be there in the sky. Here's hoping it'll clear. Now, she says it doesn't matter. She says it doesn't matter if the sky isn't all that clear, but it'd be lovely if a nice clear sky. But anyway, even if you don't see it tonight, it'll be there right into next week when we will have clear skies by night. So look up and there it'll be Jupiter. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Tell us about this uh, legend of a daughter of yours. Yes, so she's doing political science in UCC and she applied for and was accepted to do an internship in New York starting in January. So she'll be working for the Senate, the US government. Oh, that's fantastic. That's very exciting. You don't know you're going to have half a cork 
in JFK Airport going, listen, I know it's Elise Sinead. She walks her bike. Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city. A long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at milldc.com. Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96 FM. Caller says to us here, if you look to the right of Jupiter, I'm assuming on a very clear sky, and maybe with a with the binoculars? Oh no, on your own. Just with, if you look to the right-hand side of Jupiter, you should be able to see a, a star that looks red. That's actually the planet Saturn. Wow. Wow. I hope to goodness there'll be a clear enough sky to look at this tonight. But as I said to you, after the weekend, you'll still be able to see it into next week when the nights are clearer and the skies are clearer. Interesting one from Jenny on breastfeeding. I'll read it there in a little while. But I want to go first to Mick Barry. You'll remember earlier in the summer, we were talking about the fate of Aer Lingus workers at Cork Airport. When Cork Airport shuts, as it will do in a few weeks' time, it shuts down for the runway to be refurbished. Now, we've had that particular discussion uphill and down Dale, so let's not worry about that one. It is shutting, and they insist it will open again in time for for Christmas. So that particular ship has sailed, or flight has taken off, as it were. But the 200 Aer Lingus workers, McBarry had taken up the cudgels on their behalf earlier in the year, that they would be kept on the company's books uh, during the shutdown. Now, Mick, they they are now being kept on the books during the shutdown, but now you want to take up the cudgels on behalf of somebody else at the airport. Good morning. Good morning, yes. You're right there, PJ. Um, there was a successful campaign waged by the Aer Lingus workers themselves with a little bit of help from myself, um, which put sufficient pressure on the company and on the government TDs uh, to basically say, no, you're not going to be laid off. You're not going to be on the dole for 10 weeks. You're going to be kept on the company books and that the employment wage subsidy scheme would be used in order to do that. But of course, while the biggest employer in the airport is, of course, Aer Lingus, there are other employers out there as well. I mean, I don't have time to go through them all, but two of the biggest ones would be OCS, who do the cleaning, and also Swissport, who do uh, ground handling there. Mm -hmm. And there are dozens of workers involved in each of those companies. And there are dozens of workers uh, employed by other companies out there. Now, at the moment, they're being kept in the dark. They're, They're not sure as to whether they're going to be kept on the books or whether they're going to be laid off. And basically my attitude is that until such time as they're given a guarantee that like the Aer Lingus workers, they will be kept on the books, then these workers are um, in a difficult situation. And the clock is ticking. It's September 12th is D-Day. So that's three and a half weeks. So I want to put it out there this morning that the guarantee that was given to the Aer Lingus workers, look, lads, you're being kept on the books, that the same guarantee would be given to the OCS workers, to the Swiss port workers, 
and to the other workers in the airport by the various employers. And what would be a big help would be if the government ministers in the airport constituency, namely Michal Martin, Michael McGrath and Simon Coveney, were to break their silence on this and come out very clearly, publicly, say the employment wage subsidy scheme, which is in place until the end of the year, Mm. that can be used by those employers to keep the workers on the books. What happened for the Aer uh, Lingus workers must happen to these workers as well. Now, I'm not a lawyer, Mick, and, and neither are you, but what happened for Aer Lingus is a precedent now. So no one can say we can't do this. Yeah, it's been done in Aer Lingus. The precedent has been set. Uh, and why should the OCS workers, the Swiss Port workers, or the other Cork Airport workers get a lesser deal than the Aer Lingus workers got? Fair is fair. These workers have uh, made big sacrifices and have taken a big hit to the living standards for themselves and their families. Since the start of the pandemic, we all know that aviation is one of the hardest hit industries. Um, And having made those sacrifices and been through those tough times, it would be completely wrong if um, they were to be, you know, shown the door, uh, put on the dole, uh, and taken off the books for the period of those 10 weeks. Caller who says he wouldn't be a supporter of McBarry's, but is saying that if they lay off workers at this stage, they won't get them back. It'll be very hard to get the airport back up and running. There'd be a small business owner who, who depends on the airport, and the suggestion is that they will actually get other jobs elsewhere, so it'll be very hard to get staff back. So if you don't hold on to them, you'll lose them forever. Well, that's the whole idea of the employment wage subsidy scheme. You keep people on the books, and then when you move to reopen, you're able to do it quickly and uh, rapidly. There also is the flip side of that argument, that even if the workers um, you know, uh, are available uh, after being laid off, um, that in the meantime, uh, some of them have received nothing because social welfare payments are means-tested, and some of them have partners who are walking Others of them receive less than they would have got otherwise because they've, they've been working less hours and, and making less contributions uh, since the pandemic began. Mm. So people who are hard-pressed with back-to-school, people who are hard-pressed with mortgages, people who've been hit hard by the pandemic are, are going to have the screws tightened on them if the government and those ministers allow them to be laid off. That shouldn't happen. Let's give them the guarantee and let's make sure that they can be kept on the books. Okay, Mick, thank you very much. That's Mick Barry, uh, Solidarity TD for Cork North Central. And look, those who will say, well, how can you do that? Well, they did it. They did it for the Erlingus workers, and Mick's got to claim some credit for that, or be allowed to claim some credit for that. He pushed the campaign during the summer, and now what's happening is the Erlingus workers at the airport will be kept on the books for the duration of the closure. His argument now is there are other companies there. He names two, Swissport, who do the ground handling, and OCS, who handle the cleaning. They'll be supported by the employment wage subsidy scheme, so why not just keep them on the books as well for the sake of the uh, 10 weeks involved? 1850-715-996. Now, Jenny was listening to our conversation earlier on this morning on breastfeeding. And you'll remember that I spoke to I spoke to Maria, who is a lactation consultant, uh, about, you know, keeping keeping your child 
breastfed for as long as you can. Um, and she spoke to me about her own daughter in particular, who will be seven soon and still has the odd feed, which, look, it's unusual, but as I said myself at the time, it's just what, what I guess is whatever makes you happy and whatever whatever the, the, the child is, is happy with. Jenny got onto us on WhatsApp to say, wonderful to hear about natural term feeding being talked about. Natural term feeding is what that is, apparently, uh, as opposed to the broad term of breastfeeding. It's a lot more common than you might think. It's just the feeds wouldn't be frequent. For some children, it might be once a day. For others, it could be once every few days. And it's done at home. In fact, closet nursing is another name they give to it. But it has so many health benefits. I fed my first child until 27 months. That's what, just over two and a half. He weaned while I was pregnant. I'm currently feeding Jason, who's five months old. He'd likely be my last child. And I have no time frame on weaning him. We will see how we go. And indeed, Maria was saying that about her daughter. I think Aurora is her daughter's name. Aurora will decide when she wants to stop feeding. And that is the, the term, natural term feeding, as opposed to breastfeeding. It's a new one on me. I guess every day is a school day in this game. 1850 They've got a, an interesting campaign going on in Galway to clamp down on doggy poo. We have a problem, a serious problem, and it's not a new discussion that we have a serious problem with doggy poo in Cork. Come on, we even have a we even have a a dog poo committee in City Hall. We have we have a dog fouling committee in City Hall. We ha- actually have a committee of politicians who claim expenses to be allowed to talk shite. We actually have. What are they doing in Galway? We'll, we'll check it out next. A fabulous photograph from the Montanati Hotel. A fabulous photograph of the goats. They took it from across the road from the hotel. But there's one goat attempting to get on the wall. And there's three more walking along the top of the wall outside the hotel. Fabulous picture. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie the best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. This Saturday, it's Liverpool versus Burnley at 12.30. Leeds United versus Everton at 3. And Brighton versus Watford at 5.30. The Premier League Live With Now Stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sport With a Now Sports Extra membership Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie Or download the Cork's 96fm app All the stars on one show this is Dua Lipa. Hi, this is Tiesto. Oh, hey, this is Shane Khan. Hey, this is Anne-Marie. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This is Joe Corey. I go by the name of The Weeknd. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio. Weeknights from 8. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Test drive the all-electric ID4 at Newmarket Motors. Or visit newmarketvolkswagen.ie for more. Cork's 96 FM. We actually have a committee of Cork City Hall here. Uh, a council committee 
on dog fouling. It's called the Dog Fouling Committee. We actually have a committee of elected politicians who get together every so often to actually talk, right? Not just do it in the council chamber in a month, but actually sit together and talk, right? Councillor uh, Neil McNeilis is a Labour councillor on Galway Council. Do you have such a committee, Neil? Good morning. No, we wouldn't have a committee now that we're sitting around talking about that kind of stuff. But um, we, we, we have actually tackled the issue ourselves in Galway. Yeah. But we wouldn't have a committee for it. Well, we actually have had a, a committee for quite some time. Um, but we've a huge problem down here. Now, did you go around and spray poo with pink fluorescent poo? What did you do? So we've, we've launched a campaign in Galway called Clean It Up, You Dirty Pup. Um, it's one of the bigger issues. Um, it's something that all local politicians will always face when mm. they're on the doorsteps. Everybody giving out about you know the dog dirt in, the, in their area. Um, and we've spent a lot of money down through the years on mutt mitts or we say pooper scoopers. And these are the boxes that can be taken up. You scoop it up, you put it in the bin and you know, whatever. But there's a huge amount of people who just bring their dog for a walk who then decides that, um, that they shouldn't, you know, to pick it up and just leave it be and let it rot away. So what we did is, by having launched the campaign, Clean It Up Your Dirty Pup, what we have done is we've reduced the amount of dog dirt by 50% within six weeks already. Um, it was done as a trial base in four different areas. So we've mm. got these bright pink and yellow um, spray, chalk spray cans, mm. went into an area spray-painted the dog dirt in the area and counted it. And then each week, through volunteers and in the four areas that we've targeted, um, you could see that the amount of pink circles or yellow circles that were popping up in the area at all times were getting more and more. So so you come along and you see a a deposit on the pavement. Uh, They didn't pick the deposit up. They just put a little circle around it. Yeah. And again, is the idea being is well? I mean, at the end of the day, the whole idea here is to highlight again is to these people who just highlight, don't see no literally like a yellow highlighter on a bit of paper. Yeah, yeah. Except now we concentrate not on street footpaths. We've concentrated, we've concentrated on the parks and uh, where football pitches are. So within six weeks, the amount of circles that had appeared, people then stopped bringing their dogs into those areas and actually started using uh, these mitt muffs, uh, mutt mutt mitts and pooper scoopers and picking them up and putting the stuff into the bin. And it, it really, we backed it up with a, an ad campaign, a social media campaign. We highlighted actually all of the illnesses that you can get from dogs. Yeah, yeah, You're now that's a very serious it. one. You put posters up around that, didn't you? Yeah, we did post it, but we also highlighted then the various illnesses that you get. So if you're on a football pitch and you get a cut and you fall on dog dirt, that's a serious, serious issue yeah. because then you could actually end up being blind even. There's a thing that. called toxic caracanus. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, so your ringworm, the whole act of it can actually come from it. So, yeah, so that's what we did. And we, we involved the Tidy Towns groups. We involved resident associations and business organisations. Um, it was trialled originally in Roscommon, and it was a huge success with them. Um, and we followed on suit with that. Like in Galway, um, and like, like Cork, and like everywhere else, we're spending way too much money on environmental um, and cleaning up after people who just, just don't give a bother, don't give a damn. Um, we would prefer, we spent more money last year on cleaning up our streets than we did on the arts and, and the arts community and we pride ourselves with the arts up here in Galway. And I think that's a waste of money to be out there mm. just cleaning up after people who just don't give a damn. So you went into parts, no, you didn't go down pavements and put circles, because that would be very effective here in Cork because we got parts of Cork that are literally a no-go area for dog poo. Yeah, what we did is we spray painted actually signage on the footpath with a picture of a dog 
doing his business with the <laughs> with the with the slogan "Clean it up, you dirty pup," and you know, mentally, Dunn that can't does read though. Somebody. So you were hoping to catch the catch the owners, obviously. Well, I don't think it's really catch anybody because I mean, I've heard all this nonsense before. People were talking about getting DNA of the dog. Oh yeah, I think that that might have been. I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't like to um, <sighs> cast discretion. I mean, might that, have been that was, Longford. That was, that, was, that was a non-runner anyway. That might have been. That might have been Longford. I can just imagine, like, sorry, no, would you ever get the dog to lick the stick? You know, you get yeah, that yeah, DNA. Yeah, no, no, yeah. <laughs> Charlie, get them vaccinated. Don't mind, get the doc. So anyway, um, so the idea was was that we would put up this signage, put it on the footpaths, very high profile. Um, over a period of time, it will wash away, and um, we'll keep the campaign very, very strong for a period of six weeks. And it's worked. And now we've actually done now is we've now broken it out and we've threaded it out through the entire city as well. Well, we've seen the results already. They're proven that there's been a huge dramatic fall in the areas of where uh, these things were. And do you provide things like like, like the bags, you know, you can get a bag dispenser or... Right. Yeah, they're your mitt mugs and your pooper scoop because you're spending thousands of euros on these every year. I mean, I, and the other excuse that people keep saying, well, you know, there's no bin here. Where am I supposed to put it? I mean, look at put it in the bin and bring it home. Sorry, yeah, I, put it and bring it home. I mean, like, I mean, it's, it's not that you're carrying a big black bag home. I mean, it's a small. <laughs> I love that some of the dogs stuff. and some of the small dogs, Neil, you know this. Some of them are bigger on the inside, like. I do, I do, but I can tell you, for, I have a small dog myself, and it's not that hard to clean up. You bring your dog to the walk, he does the business, you pick it up, you bring it home. I know, yeah. You know? There's a Jack Russell There's a Jack Russell that goes up and down the hill near where I live, and honest to God, you'd think a Rottweiler had been there. <laughs> yeah, but you know, again, is look at, we can provide all of the services, and every local authority can do this, providing all these mugs yeah. uh, with the, the mitts and the scoopers and all that. But it's not responsibility yeah, of the owner. It's responsibility. If you look at, I mean, you're, it's part of your responsibility being a dog owner, right? I mean, and at the end of the day, is that the mess that this makes when it goes on to a bicycle or a trot or to a kid's buggy or even a wheelchair, and then it ends up going into a house. Don't mind walking on top of it. So, I mean, it's just a bit of responsibility. It's social engagement, and, it, and, and that's the whole idea behind this. It's to highlight exactly how big an Literally. issue it was, first of all. And then secondly, um, with very little money involved, is that it's high profile, you get them talking about it, and gradually what happens is the kids turn around and they start saying to mum and dad, you know what, you need to clean up after the dog after that. And before the environmental campaigners start, start losing, losing their reason, the stuff washes away in the rain, correct? Washes away in the rain, it's chalk-based, it's bright pink, bright yellows. Um, I'm sure you can do your bright red and white stone in Cork. And, and actually, you know... It, oh, by the, the way, the under-20s is sorry about last night. <laughs> Not really, a, but you know. Well, <laughs> there's a small park called Father Burke Park, and we went in there, and I think we spray painted nearly a hundred spots at one stage. Crikey. But now it's actually completely, completely working That's out. That's great. Fifty percent reduction in it. So yeah. I would encourage, um, you know, you guys to have a look at it. It, it. It's a very good idea, and it works. It's a great, it's a great idea. Listen, lovely talking to you. That's uh, Councillor Niall, or Neil McNeilis, uh, Labour Councillor, at Galway County Council. I had to get the jibe in about the under-20s, didn't I, after last night? Here's what they did. They got harmless, chalk-based, fluorescent paint. And they went out into the field, and they sprayed around it, sprayed around it, sprayed around it. So in a typical field, there was maybe a hundred fluorescent circles. And then people realised how much crap was out there. Pick it up, you dirty pup. Is the name of their campaign. I love it. I absolutely love it. I wonder if the dog fouling committee of Cork City Council would be interested in taking it on. It's a great idea. Carrie Galine says this calls an absolute disgrace with dog poo. 
People are walking with headphones and their dogs are just pooing behind them. Uh, 1850-715-996. On the subject of the airport, as one of the airport employees involved, I want to thank Mick for his support. Having worked through the whole global pandemic on reduced hours and reduced pay, I find it hard to understand why my company can't show the same respect as Aer Lingus showed to its workers. The Back Garden Festival still up and running, streaming exclusively on the Cork's 96FM app and online with Harvey Norman and JBL. All the festival stars in your back garden are in the kitchen or in the bedroom or wherever you want them. The Cork's 96FM Back Garden Festival. Listen on the app or go to 96FM.ie. I gotta say, I love that idea from Galway. I absolutely love it. The idea that they went out and they went into, say, a, a field, football field, and they went around with pink and yellow, whatever other colours of luminous, fluorescent, chalk-based, harmless paint. And they just circled. So they see a poo, and you go, another one. And then they stood back and said, my God, there's 80 or 90 circles on that field of people who've just let their dogs take a pee. Uh, John Maher I think John Maher likes it yeah Councillor John Maher says great to hear uh, Neil McNeilis on the opinion I'm talking about clean it up you dirty pup it's a great idea that Cork City Council can use as we continue our work to stop dog fouling and keep our walks and parks clean yeah I wonder could we contact the committee I, I think but I believe it's generally chaired by the Lord Mayor of the day contact the dog fouling committee and see would they be interested in taking that, that idea on. I love it. 1850-715-996. Look, uh, yesterday wasn't such a, a positive day for the entertainment industry. Now, apart from the industry itself being less than happy with what happened yesterday, the, the minister responsible for arts and culture is less than happy with her uh, cabinet colleagues. Catherine Martin has now asked nay, demanded to be allowed to sit in on meetings of the COVID committee uh, so that she knows what she's dealing with because she came up with a plan or she had devised a plan to get entertainment back uh, over the next couple of weeks and months. But she took this apparently to the COVID committee and they said, uh-uh, not happening. And now she wants to be part of that committee. It seems to have been a very frustrating meeting yesterday for the entertainment industry. Sophie Motley is Artistic Director of the Everyman. Sophie, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Everyone will tell you, look, public health is public health. But at this stage, I think the levels of frustration in the entertainment industry are just in the in, in the stratosphere. You're absolutely right. It's We're really worried. Uh, it feels like it's you know, it, 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 we're at a real turning point here and we've got to be allowed to have audiences back inside, particularly when people are inside pubs and we've been planning for months. We've got so many systems in place for people to be inside the Everyman, to be safe, to be two metres from each other uh, and to start to be able to connect with and enjoy entertainment mm. for themselves, but also for the many, many artists that live and work in our city. And now that most of the adults in the country are vaccinated anyway... Exactly. I mean, um, most people would be able to go indoors and dine inside. Uh, they can go and see a match. So why are we not allowed to have audiences inside our theatres? 
at the moment we are we're we're planning to um to have people in the everyman from mid-september we've been planning for the last six months for this but if the restrictions stay where they are we won't be able to have more than 50 people in which means at the end of the day we're likely to die really that bad Mm, it's really bad it also means that we can't we won't be able to support the artists that we've been able to support over the past wee while. It's been going on for a really long time now. And I, it, I, it's easy to talk, I think, PJ, about how important it is to get the schools back in. We all know that. We all know how important public health is. But at the same time, the arts and entertainment sector does employ 35,000 people in our country. Uh, and it's worth three and a half billion. Mm. And uh, and we've already lost a lot of our artists and our arts workers in the last year and a half. Mm. And if we can't open soon, we're going to lose more. Uh, and it will be the end of a lot of us. Now, there are supports out there and they will continue, but are they enough? Um, they, they're, to be honest, no, they're not enough. We've been very, very lucky. We've been supported over the past 18 months. Um, and at the Everyman, we are, uh, before COVID, we are 90% reliant on people buying tickets in order to keep the building open. Yeah. Um, so we lost a huge amount and we've been very lucky. We have been supported by the Arts Council. Uh, we have been supported by some of the very, very kind audience members and people who care about the entertainment industry that have supported us by donating to the Everyman. Um, but it's we can't keep going forever and we can't rely on the kindness of people forever. Yeah. Because, um, and, and I think, well, I'd hope that people are just as frustrated as we are. If you can go to a match, why can't you go to the panto? Yeah, I, I know, I don't even talk about pantos, I will in a minute, but this is the time of year as well, I think, Sophie, when I would be getting my envelope with my little program in it for what's coming up and I'd be going, I'm going to go to that, I'm going to go to that, by God, I'm not missing that. I'd be looking at what's coming up in the Everyman and the Opera House and other places for, for the weeks and months to come. You can't really plan, can you? No, you can't. You can't plan for anything. So what we've got, I mean, bearing in mind we've had to move everything anyway over the last year, we now have what we hope is a plan for the autumn, but that plan is absolutely reliant on what we had hoped, which was that we'd gradually be able to open up and we'd start with 50 people and we'd gradually build it up so that we could have something for our audiences uh, by Christmas time, for example, um, that people can connect with and that more than 50 people can connect with. But if, we, if we're not able to put that plan in place, we don't even have a roadmap to know where we're going and where mm. we can go, then I, I don't know what we can do. We've, we've replanned and rethought for so long and we're also at a point where we've got really brilliant trained staff in the building and waiting to come back to work who are ready they've been prepped we've got we've got ideas we've got health and safety regulations we know how we're going to welcome people back in and I think that we're much better positioned to open safely than some of the other places that are already open really yeah I guess one must be cognizant of the public health situation and we have 1800 new cases a day. We have a Mm -hmm. slow increase in the numbers of people in hospital. And it is a view, I'm not saying I share it, but it is a viewpoint that entertainment and music and plays and drama and cinema and all these things, while they're wonderful, they're luxury items and really we need to hold hold off until we get the public health situation back under control. Yeah, I think you're right to an extent, PJ, but does that mean that having a pint indoors is also a luxury item? Because people are indoors having pints um, and that is a lot less controlled than being sat inside a theatre 
um, experiencing some some entertainment. And yes, it is a luxury item, but that luxury item is often the thing that pulls you out of feeling terrible because you've been inside your house all year. Mm. And being, you know, access to, to culture and entertainment is a fundamental human right. And um, of course, of course, there are other things that are more important, and I, and I wouldn't want to to say that they aren't. Mm. But uh, to be able to smile and to be able to laugh takes a huge weight off your shoulders. And to be able to do that where you feel safe in a building that you visited before, yeah. um, knowing that you will be sat down with your mask on two meters away from other people and knowing that you will be safely ushered into and out of your seat mm-hmm. um, feels like it's safer than, than, than having a pint. Yeah. yeah. No, I was at uh, a pilot event in the Opera House in July. Uh, before we went on holidays and I thought it was extremely well run and well organised and I'm sure that any event that you'd put on at the Everman would be extremely well well run and well organised. I think what the industry wants at this stage, Sophie, uh, am I right, is just give us a date. Yeah, exactly. That's all we need. We need to, we need to have something we can plan for because at the moment we're ready. We've got everybody trained up. We're ready to start. We're We're ready to start getting our fantastic volunteers back in um, to, to help getting audiences back in and uh, we need to know when we can start because otherwise we can't plan for how we're going to survive without it. Like if, if the answer to the future is everything's going to be shut for a long time then we'd need to plan for that and at the moment we've, been, we've had a lot of empty promises I think as a sector. Okay. Leave it there for today. We'll talk again, no doubt. Uh, we've done our best to support the arts and entertainment industries on the programme throughout the heights of the pandemic. And they have done everything that was asked of them. And now they just want a date when they can open. You have to see their point. Sophie Motley, Artistic Director of The Everyman. Thank you. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Cork's Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here, right there. The score on Cork's 96 FM. Join me, Trevor Welsh, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sports as we focus on the All Ireland Senior Hurling Championship final. It's Cork versus Limerick in the battle for Liam McCarthy. Right here, right there. Join Trevor Welch for the score this Sunday from 2 p.m. With Firebird Heating Solutions. If you're building, think of the Firebird Air Source Heat Pump with underfloor heating and heat recovery. See firebird.ie. Right here, right there. On Cork's 96 FM. The goats have been safely captured in the last while. The goats have been very safely captured. We're happy to report that. Um, I cannot resist playing out on this for the day that's in it. The programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Katie O'Keefe. And we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. But I couldn't go out without a lash of this. On the night the goat broke loose and ran parade. Well, on the night the goat broke loose and ran parade. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 